0: what up power project welcome to part two of our two-part series with legendary bodybuilder john meadows in part one we talked a lot about diet and what it takes to eat like a bodybuilder in part two we're going to talk about what it takes to train like a bodybuilder with a little bit of discussion about steroids if you are a fan of john meadows and a fan of bodybuilding then you know the struggles when it comes to eating meats, steaks and high fatty cuts of beef However, we have the answer to all of that. Our friends over at Certified Piedmontese have the absolute best beef on the planet. Somehow they've managed to add more protein, less fat, uh, all of the flavor all of the tenderness uh, and somehow cooks faster than regular store-bought beef head over to piedmontese.com that's p-i-e-d-m-o-n-t-e-s-e.com at checkout enter promo code power project for 25 percent off your order and if your order is 99 dollars or more you get free two-day shipping head over there right now check out the Jacked and tan pack and the power project deluxe bundle uh, unlike other bundles our promo code actually works on these ones Thank you so much for checking out part two of our two-part series. If you enjoy this episode, please go back and check out part one. But for now, enjoy the show.
1: You know, in in terms of recovery, because I guess we can go down this rabbit hole a little bit too. You alluded to natural versus enhanced quite a bit already, um, and we know that a lot of a lot of drugs help you recover much better, which is partially why a lot of these guys can get bigger because they're just recovering so much faster than the guy that isn't. Yeah, that doesn't take anything. So. I guess, what are the, what different factors to guys that don't take any drugs, what can they do in terms of, I guess, their programming, their nutrition? Obviously, you mentioned peri-workout um, shakes and stuff. What can they do to recover better so that they can also make a lot of progress over time?
2: Yeah, well, let me start with what they what is not a good idea, okay. because <laughs> I hear a lot of chatter on YouTube and everywhere that... Well, if you're natural, you can't train hard. The only guys that should be training really hard are the guys on gear. Okay. (laughs) I think we're all in agreement that it's harder to build muscle naturally. So explain to me why Mm -hmm. training easier is going to help you grow faster. (laughs) So first of all, don't buy into that line because that's crap. Mm -hmm. That's straight crap. Now, I mean, if you look at it, so if you look at like, for example, muscle protein synthesis, and when you train, like I said, 24, 48 hours, you know, for a muscle, it's turned on. Um, here's what you don't want. So let me go with kind of basic number two. When a muscle is recovered, train it. So if you train legs on Monday and you're into this, so I'm going to start with a natural side first. So if you train legs on Monday and you know, it's been 48 hours or 72 hours, what have you, and you're ready to train them again, then do it. Don't wait like three or four days. Um, you know, you're, Leaving gains on the table, as we like to say, right? So um, train them when it's recovered, first of all. I don't think it's a good idea to train a muscle when it's not recovered, okay? Now, let's say the muscle's really sore. You've got a couple different approaches. You can can wait longer to train it, which I think is a fine option, or you can pull back on your intensity. So you're not as sore. That You could argue that's a good idea or a bad idea. It could go either way. But here's, here's the other thing about anabolics. So they have a massive effect on your cortisol. You know, just like how anabolics will attach to this androgen receptor and then it goes to your DNA and it fires up the protein synthesis. So these guys on gear, their protein synthesis is firing all the time, 24-7, seven days a week. That's why you can get away with training something once a week. For naturals, that's not the case. I'm not saying you can't make progress that way. I'm just saying for most natural guys, it's probably not the best idea. You know, you want to take advantage of the muscle protein synthesis, but then when it stops, you can't let the muscle just sit for four or five days. You got to train it. But anyways, so cortisol kind of does the same thing, attaches to a receptor, talks to your, it kind of occupies it. So cortisol doesn't run wild. You know, there's, there were many, many thoughts back in the, 90s that the biggest effect from steroids came from the anti-catabolic effect and, and so much so that we used to use this drug called cytodrine you, you remember that one mark
3: i've heard of it before yeah
2: yeah we used to use that it didn't it didn't work the way we thought it would um, but what but that was a big thought so then so anyways so let me get back to my point so the guys who are training natural they don't have this advance or this, this advantage of kind of suppressing cortisol. So what happens when you're training just crazy hard and you're doing high volume, what goes up, you know, your cortisol levels will start to go up. So then you have a really hard time recovering. So you've just got to set your programming up so that you can recover from it. Um, I'm, and what I'm not saying is to not train hard. I'm just saying you may need to manage your volume because higher and higher and higher volumes, for a natural, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Because if you start cranking all that cortisol, then these guys get real tired. They're worn out. They start getting weaker. So you, you've just got to be very precise in how you program. And even saying, but having said that, though, remember, everybody's different. People tolerate different amounts of stress. So at the end of the day, it's still the principle of individuality. You still have to experiment. There has, there's not a single science, scientific study I've read that I just took black and white, and that's what I'm doing. Experiment. Mm-hmm. You've got to experiment. You, that's This is the beauty of the experience. Is you learn these things um, as you go in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and then you start to figure out, hopefully, what's working for you and what's not working for you. But Anyway, so I hope that helps.
3: Yeah. Experimentation, I think, is huge. And, you know, um, part of the definition of an experiment is that you don't know the results, you know, and so you're not just constantly testing theories that you that you that, you know, for a fact are going to work. You're testing theories that you uh, think are going to work based off of other information that you may, may be gathered from a friend or somebody else, a coach, um, and maybe just your own history. And you're like, oh, I think I'm going to start to try to train my arms this way. And that's when we kind of start to get into the definition of us being, you know, meatheads is we're constantly thinking of like, oh, I wonder if I went down slower on that movement, if I would gain a little size on it, a little bit more emphasis on the negative. Or I wonder if I started to implement a little isometric training, you know, what that would do for me. But it makes it a lot of fun to be able to mix it up and to be able to get uh, stimulation from so many different areas, and you're men- mentioning muscle protein synthesis, uh, that happens from you know eating protein, correct, a- as well as getting the training effect in there, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. So,
2: yeah, oh. I mean, um, the the diet part of this is interesting too, because, um, you know, I think that I think a lot of the people in the natural audience maybe don't think they can handle much nutrition. Um, But again, as Mark was saying, you don't know, experiment, you know, see what you can handle. Um, So anyways. um.
1: Gotcha. And, you know, on the, on the line of also recovering better, we had big J here recently and he was mentioning something in terms of the way he exercises, like on a lot of movements, because of the limits of like his body, he may doesn't just go to full lockout on maybe a chest pressing movement because that'll bother his elbow a lot, but he'll get a lot of chest activation still. Now you've been training for decades now and not just training. You've been training really, really hard for decades. And it seems as though you're still training hard now with minimal issues as far as your body's concerned. So what I want to know here is over the decades of your training, what kind of, I guess, what 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 kind of techniques do you employ in terms of when you do overall movements to make sure that your body isn't, you know, beat up over the years? Like, how did you manage that? Do you like limit how much, how much you lock out certain joints or that's what I'm trying to get at here?
2: Oh yeah, no, that I, um, I love talking about this because this comes with experience. And when I was in my early twenties, um, I trained at a gym that had a lot of powerlifters in it, and they told me, John, you got to bench press first, deadlift first, squat first. And so I'd go in and bench press, and I kept getting pulls. I had uh, probably 30 near pectares, tears, okay? Mm-hmm. So at some point, I said, you know what? I don't think this sequence is working out for me. Like every time I go in a bench press heavy, I pull something. So I started playing around with the sequences and exercises that I felt were very hard on my connective tissue. I moved them down the list. Like, let me do the other exercises first. They're a little more joint friendly. Then when I get to that exercise, you know, I may not be as moving as moving as much weight, but that doesn't matter. The muscle just knows the load on and how hard it has to work. So when I did that, um, that is the single biggest thing I did that I think helped me. Um, Just, exercise sequencing and you don't really hear people talk about it because there's no studies on it. Nobody can read a book about it, but you learn it with like, I I'm guessing, for example, if you guys have an exercise that you think really bothers you, you're probably not going to come flying out of the gates with it full go. Mm. So um, that was, uh, that, that helped me. I've also had a lot of work done over the years, like deep tissue work and ART and MAT. I get deep tissue work done every week. I've had it for probably almost 20 years now. Wow. Um, So those things helped. And the other thing is, is there are certain exercises that I like to take through through a full range of motion. And I think that's good for your joints to work through a full range of motion, but not all of them. There are certain ones where it feels right. And there are certain ones where it don't. For example, like a preacher curl, I'm not going to let my arm go completely out straight. I feel like you're really risking a tear with your bicep. That just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Now, I can do a hack squat, though. Go down nice and slow. I can get uh, really deep, stretch out my quads. That feels good to me. So I think you, as you experiment, I think you find certain exercises that you can go full range of motion with. And then other ones, you know, when I do an incline barbell press, I stop about an inch or two short above my uh, sternum. And everybody's like, oh, you're cheating. You're cheating. I'm like, well, you know, if I go down and touch, I pull my pack, and my rotator cuff hurts. Mm. So I'm going to take the cheating. I'll just cheat. <laughs> so, and I think as you go, you find out stuff like that with your exercises. If you're paying attention to your body, it, it, it tells you like, does this feel okay? Does it not feel okay?
3: Yeah. I think finding exercises that, uh, you know, it's great to find exercises that allow you to use maximal weights, but at the same time, uh, those maximal weights could end up putting you into a predicament, especially when you've been training for a long time, because you know how to fire your muscles and you know how to push into it. And you're probably going to be moving a pretty good amount of weight. So even just kind of go along with what you're saying, if someone was to simply just do a couple sets of push-ups before they hit some bench pressing, you know, if they did four sets of 25 uh, reps on a pushup with, you know, 45 seconds rest, a minute rest, and it's not going to torch you. Uh, but you activated the muscles. You got a lot of the muscles warm and it's going to be more difficult. And I love the bodybuilding principles of like, Hey, let's, you know, everyone has their own kind of touch on things, but the general idea is you're, you're getting in a good amount of work in a condensed period of time. And so, you know, power from a powerlifting perspective, we need to kind of like ride over these speed bumps a million times in order to get stronger, but we can't do it a million times in terms of the reps because Uh, We'll be in bad positions for too long during the workout. So we have to do it with many sets uh, or we have to do it just over a long period of time with 80 percent, 90 percent and so on. In terms of bodybuilding, though, you get to kind of run through those speed bumps where you can uh, come out the other side, uh, getting what you needed to get out of it uh, simply by doing the the amount of work in a condensed period of time because you got a certain amount of volume that needs to be done. And you just get fatigued. You know, if you're like, all right, Mark, here's what you're going to do. You're squatting with me and we're going to do, you know, three sets of 15. And maybe the first couple are kind of like warm ups, but they fatigue me because I'm not used to training the way you're training. Now, you know, we, I get, uh, you know, eight reps deep on set number two, legs are already really burning, Mm -hmm. you know, and you start to really get that stimulus. And now if I get rounded over in these squats, uh, it's not going to be detrimental to my lower back because the odds are I'm probably using like three plates or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah i mean like if there was if there was one thing i i would uh tell people for longevity it would be it that would be a, the exercise sequencing and paying attention to what's bothering you not bothering you I, I just think that's very underrated um and you know what i found too like for instance with my chest was when i took that approach my chest actually got bigger mm-hmm. i mean i felt like the bench press was actually then a better move for my pecs mm-hmm. i mean I don't know that you'd call it classic pre-exhaustion because I wasn't doing a fly. I might just do a dumbbell press instead or a machine press. But what I can say is the actual development of muscle did not suffer at all. In fact, it got better. Um, So it's not a compromise. I think it's actually good planning. It's good programming.
1: You know, the fact that you, you made that one change in the sequencing um, and you grew, that's kind of crazy, but I, I, I want to see if we can go back to that point where you said like you were stalling out for four or so years in terms of your muscle gain. And then you started adding peri-workout nutrition, which lets a better recovery, which led to more growth. Um, as far as I guess the amount of muscle that a, an individual can gain, whether natural, whether enhanced or whatever, um, when does someone know that they've become like an advanced level trainee? Because a lot of people, you know, they've been training for whatever, six years, like I'm not getting much bigger. They may think they've tapped out, but you know, like there's so many training things that they can add in to allow for more growth. So how does one kind of like blast past that plateau if they think they're there?
2: (laughs) Well, that's tough, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to say, like when you do hit your peak. In order for you to really say that, you would have to know for a fact you can't get any bigger. And that means you've manipulated every variable possible with no success. And I think most people, you can't say that. You can't say they've really manipulated every variable and done everything they can do. Because that's truly what you would have to do to say with certainty, um, I'm at my genetic limit. Mm you know, when you get to, so when I, when I think about beginners and intermediates and advanced, I don't necessarily think about the time in a gym because I've seen a lot of guys that have been lifting 10 or 15 years that I would still consider beginners yeah. based on their exercise performance, the way they train and so forth. So um, I think it's really good to have, for example, a good mentor, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing. Somebody with a lot of experience um, I mentioned my uh, friend Dave Tate earlier, um, tons of knowledge, um, somebody that I could bounce ideas off of. I think it's good to have people like that, um, that, that, you can, that can mentor you and help you and teach you what to do. When I was younger, I always made it a goal, uh, to search out people that knew more than me and that were smarter than me so I could learn from them. I was very hungry to learn. In fact, um, today's Monday, Saturday, I was just training with Brandon Curry, Ooh. um, who's our, our Mr. Olympia. And it was cool for me because I'm wanting to learn from Brandon. Uh-huh. You know, we're, we're doing a workout. Just got put up on my YouTube today, actually a couple hours ago, but I love learning. I love it. Um, I, I mean, he showed me a couple of things I hadn't really thought about. And like, for me, I feel like I'm hitting the jackpot. So I just love learning. So I think when you to get to that advanced stage, you've got to continually learn, get better, work with people smarter than you, work with people who know more than you, and as you go, you'll get you'll figure things out for yourself. You know, um, you'll you'll come up with things, exercises and things that will work for you. But it's a combination of who you're surrounding yourself with, and then your own creativity, your own ability to solve problems. And always having that desire to get better, always having that desire to learn and experiment. You know, Mark mentioned experimenting earlier. Experimenting is also at the top of my list. Like there's nothing that drives me more crazy than when people say, just do the same stuff over and over. I mean, like, damn, I can't experiment at all. Like that sucks, you know? Yeah. So those would be the two things to me that really um, will help you get to advanced. And, And, you know, you you, kind of know as you go, you know, when you're intermediate, you'll say, okay, yeah, I I know that um, a leg extension works my quadriceps. I know the proper form. But then as you get advanced, you might say, well, I know that dorsiflexing my foot can activate my rectus femoris a little better. Not that everybody needs to think about that. But (laughs) I'm just illustrating that as you go, and if you're trying to learn, you'll get more and more um, on that advanced level.
3: What are some things you learned from uh, Dave Tate? Uh, maybe outside the gym, because Dave Tate is a, you know, an old salty dog. He's an old veteran. You know, he's he knows got, knows a lot of tricks of the trade, and um, but he's been around business for a long time. Uh, did that? Some of that rub off on you. Like, what are some other things you may have learned from him?
2: Well, not only did it rub off, Dave is one of my business mentors. So um, when I, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but I was at J.P. Morgan Chase for many, many years, mm-hmm. for ten years running projects there. And when I left the corporate world to kind of do this stuff full time, you know, Dave kind of took me under his wing and, you know, always, um, always gave me good business advice. And the times I didn't listen to him, I paid for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah,
3: he knows cause he's fucked up so many times, right?
2: That, and that's, you know, when I do seminars, that's what I tell people. I'm like, I've just made a ton of mistakes. I'm just trying to help you guys not make all the mistakes I made. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself an expert at anything except making mistakes. I've made a ton of them. So Dave, from a business perspective, really, really um, has made a big impact on me. And, you know, Dave is uh, Dave, and I, uh, if you've ever seen any of our older videos back when we were training hard, man, we killed each other. Um, but I tell you, man, that guy's got the biggest heart. That guy, I've seen that guy do more for more people. People don't know it because he's not out bragging about it. Mm-hmm. He does it behind the scenes. So he's just a great guy that's had a great influence on me
3: i got a uh, a question here from a fan we got some fan like some of the guys that that train in here regularly are are huge fans of yours as as are we and uh we appreciate you know you putting out all the youtube stuff recently that's uh that's been awesome that you've gotten inspired to uh, to tackle some YouTube stuff. This guy wants to know. He said he heard that you used to train at Westside, and then you would travel across town and uh, <laughs> go finish off your legs somewhere else. Like, I think that's unique to bodybuilders, you know. And, and um, yeah. you know, maybe there's some CrossFitters and Powerlifters that flirt with those kinds of things too. Maybe somebody drives an hour and a half to Westside on the weekend to get that experience. And they usually have another gym they train at. Maybe some CrossFitters do it to kind of up their game. And But we'll hear bodybuilders sometimes. They're like, hey, I'm going over here because this has this leg press over here. And then I'm going to finish my workout over here because this other gym has a kick-ass leg curl and leg extension machine.
2: Yeah, I actually have a membership at Lifetime just because of their hack squat. <laughs> I'm the hack squat out. I'm gone.
3: People are like, um, that's all I've ever seen that guy do. And he's in tremendous shape. All he ever does is a fucking hack squat machine.
2: Um, yeah, so when I was at Louis, it was the old location on Demarest and uh, on the west side. And, you know, we'd go do our speed work on the squats. And the gym, the other gym I was training at was World's Gym on the east side. So it was, uh, it was probably about 30, 30, 35 minutes to get across town. So we would finish our, our squats. And I would get in the car and I would haul ass back mm. across the to, to world. And I'd literally run in there and start loading the leg press up <laughs> because I still felt I was pretty warm and, and to go ahead and do all my other stuff. And Louie didn't care because um, I was a really good squatter and I was a very quad dominant squatter. Like I was more one of the guys with a high bar, you know, um, straight up and down spine. So he didn't care that I was working my quads more because I used them more when I squatted. Um, when I was over there, it was Mike Francois and myself were the two bodybuilders mm-hmm. and, um, I loved it. I mean, it was great. Like I would go in and Louis would tell me what to do and I would do it. I would work my butt off, you know, Chuck Vogelpool was standing around somewhere. So, mm-hmm. um, Chuck was very inspiring to me. Chuck to this day is still probably the biggest animal I've ever got to train alongside. So like tons of respect for him but I really, I've really um, had a great relationship with Louie and I just went over there, shut my mouth and did whatever he told me to do.
3: Is a box squat, a good uh, movement for people to build up their lower body?
2: Absolutely. It's a squatting movement. Right. Um, I don't see any reason. I don't see any way somebody could say it doesn't work. Um, You could just change your mechanics to emphasize different things. You know, there's, ways you could make it harder on your adductors there's ways you can make it harder on your quads depending on your depth and your stance and things like that but i i see no issues with box squats at all
1: you know when you were mentioning driving across town to go to that gym to get more leg volume in because you, knew you can handle it, it made me curious about this because you said that like um, powerlifters can take a lot from bodybuilders and vice versa so specifically to that what can powerlifters take from bodybuilding to improve themselves at powerlifting and then what can bodybuilders take from powerlifting to improve themselves as themselves as bodybuilders
2: well from from a bodybuilders perspective we focus on maximally developing every single muscle you want a complete physique and having every muscle developed is potentially very good for a powerlifter. We know that the larger a muscle fiber is, the more force it can potentially produce. So there's no downside to having bigger muscles, to having bigger bigger muscle fibers. And bodybuilders generally do a pretty good job with training everything. There's a point where it gets to just be too much for a powerlifter. But I think like when I like for instance, Chuck. Chuck would do a lot of assistance work, you know, when I was over there. And Chuck looked more like a bodybuilder. You know, he developed different than the other guys because he was doing so much kind of bodybuilding work, really. Um, you know, and then from a powerlifting perspective, there were there was a couple things I always really liked. And it wasn't just lifting heavy weight. I mean, that's cool and that's needed, but that wasn't the only thing. There is a real emphasis on form with powerlifters. And what I always appreciated about powerlifters is you could be a powerlifting for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and they're always finding flaws and mechanics and always working to make things better. And I just always thought like, if you apply that mindset to bodybuilding, just making everything work at its absolute best, I think it would be an awesome thing. So, um, you know, it wasn't just a lot of people assume I just mean doing lots of bench presses and shoulder presses, not just that. I mean, that's cool, but that's, Bodybuilders have been doing, that, been doing that stuff forever too. To me, I just love how powerlifters analyze and they're meticulous about how they train and how they exer- execute movements. Because a lot of bodybuilders aren't like that. They don't really get that deep into an understanding of movement. And I think when, for you to become your best as a bodybuilder, you find movements that you can get to that level where you feel them that good. And the more advanced you get, as Mark mentioned earlier, the more you can kind of connect with that muscle and your mind muscle connection and so forth. So when you can actually find a routine and exercises that you can connect with like that, now you've just enhanced your abilities as a a potential as a bodybuilder big time. And I did that with my back, for example. I really struggled with back development. And I was following the Lee Haney routine for muscle and fitness. I did my bent over barbell rows. I did my chins. I love Lee Haney. Um, So I was trying to do everything he did. But guess what? That didn't really work for me. I'm not saying those are bad exercises. I'm just saying there were other exercises that came along that I connected with better, that I could feel better. And then boom, all of a sudden my back started growing and eventually it became a real strong body part. But, but that kind of mindset is, uh, is what, so that's how I think they kind of complement each other.
3: What was the intensity like when you were at Westside barbell? Was that, uh, I'm sure as a, uh, longtime bodybuilder, you were probably already bringing it and you're probably already working very hard. And also the environment back then in the commercial gyms were different. It, everyone was pretty intense, at least from what I remember. Um, but still, was it a little bit of a culture shock when you walked in and the music was cranking and people were bleeding all over the place and stuff like that?
2: Um, Not really, not really, because the world gym I trained out was the same way. Right. Um, yeah, you don't I mean, see that in commercial
3: to- gyms anymore.
2: No, no, no! But even at the world gym, we had the deadlift platforms. We had a chalk the chalk bowl back there. The Metallica was blasting every Saturday morning. <laughs> I mean, um, it wasn't that different. I just, I just appreciated Louis. I think just because I got to like it was a, it was motivational for me because of who I was ra- surrounded by. Like I seen, I would see crazy stuff. Like you remember Kenny Patterson, right? Absolutely. I remember, I remember Kenny doing like like a lying dumbbell tricep extension with like a hundred pound dumbbell. Jesus. And I'm just sitting there watching it. And like George Halpert, I remember, remember George, I mean, um, 628 raw bench,
3: 628 pound uh, raw bench press. Yeah. yeah, At one ninety eight, He was, he was phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, so those guys, I mean, I'm like, that's motivational to be around people that strong. And you know how we used to go out to the garage at Louie's, or not at Louie's, but he had a garage that we all went out and benched at on Sundays. And so there was three benches. And on the first bench you had the four strongest guys. You know, we had the Kenny Patterson's. And then the second bench you had the kind of medium guys. And on the third bench you had the guys like me. I was bottom of the barrel. So You know, I was on that third bench. Usually I was there with Joe McCoy. Joe was doing well over 500 at 181. Um, Arnold Coleman was on that bench. So I was like the weakling of the group. so it was motivating for me to see these animals training. Um, I had the intensity. I had that from day one. But to see these guys going that hard with that kind of weight, I mean, honestly, it just motivated the heck out of them.
1: What did that... Well, actually, you mentioned that you would always try to put yourself in situations where people were better than you. So were you doing that? Like when you started training as a kid? Uh, Like, first off, when did you start training? And then also, how did training environments change the way you looked at your progression? Or did they like, I guess the question I'm trying to get at here is when you changed your training environment, did you automatically start to get better because of the people around you?
2: So I started training when I was 12 and I picked up a muscle and fitness magazine and um, I immediately saw the pictures and said, this is what I want to do. Uh, I competed when I was 13. It was 1985. uh, After one year, 1985 um, was when I did my first show when I was 13 years old. Um, It's quick. (laughs) I was like, I, when I opened up the magazine, that was my goal. Like, I want to look like these guys. And I wasn't bullied, or I wasn't trying to impress girls. I just loved bodybuilding from the start. It had nothing to do with anything but that. So I was very passionate about it. And I trained at a gym that had a couple good bodybuilders. It was a small town, but they but for me, they were massive at the time. And then as I got older into my teenage years, there was a guy named John Perillo, who was um, a very well-known coach back in the day. And John um, invited me to start training down at his his center in Cincinnati. And I give John a lot of credit too because, you know, I was 19 years old and John brought me down there to train. I was going to college about a half hour away. So any chance I got, I would go down there and train. John had a coach that worked for him. His name was Mike Matson, And Mike absolutely destroyed me. He killed me. He was I don't think I've ever been as hard on any of my clients as Mike was on me. Uh, and to this day, I love him to death because because of that, because of the expectations he put on. me. So, you know, I started training at Perillo's, So I had um, somebody just from day one, just pounding me and taught me the value of nutrition. And he, he just peaked he, in 1992 and I won all three. I'm with a perfect score as a 20 year old. Mm. So I was beating all the veterans. And it was because of John and Mike, um, specifically Mike working with me. So, um, you know, and then uh, through the years I I trained at different gyms and then things kind of started to change, you know, the gyms weren't quite the same now, but I still always had this, you know, I always kind of had this saying, like you create your own environment. So it shouldn't matter what the person next to you is doing. You still got to bring it. So even when I was training at like California fitness or whatever, I still worked hard. I still worked really hard. I never let my environment really bring me down. Um, now, having said that I'll always take the awesome environment 10 times out of 10, but I didn't let it bring me down in that, in the other environments. And, and they're not, not too many gyms are like that now where you can just unleash. Um, so anyways, that's kind of what it was like for me.
3: Do you remember a product that John Perillo had called cap? Try.
2: Oh yeah. The MCT oil. <laughs> Yeah.
3: Yep. MCT oil in like the mid 80s. Right. Damn. Yeah.
2: He had he had a training manual and a nutrition manual. Those were like my Bibles. I took those everywhere I went.
3: He was a little bit of a low, <sighs> low carb per, proponent, but uh, mixing in a little bit of carbohydrates, I think even just around the workout from what I remember.
2: The, well, I can tell you, the one thing he did, man, was he had an inordinate amount of vegetables in a diet. Right. And oh. like my stomach couldn't handle all that fiber. Right. <laughs> but but um, John also had these Perillo bars. Yeah. And I love those Perillo bars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to carb load on them before I did my show. They were delicious.
3: So, I remember them. Yeah, they had uh, like maltodextrins in them and it had MCT oil powder and it had protein, which is like there was no protein bars back then.
2: Wow. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I love all that old
1: shit. It's pretty cool. Now, along with like, I guess what they taught you in your, a lot of your videos, you do a lot of, I guess, giant sets. I guess, I, think, I feel like I've seen you talk a lot about drop sets and techniques like that. Um, when should a person maybe think about employing some of this? Cause I know there's so much, so I don't know exactly how we can, answer this question, but there's a lot of different techniques that a lot of people don't use. Most people, you know, they'll do three sets of movement, move on to the next movement, three sets, and they'll just overload progressively. Right. But when should I guess? Yeah. When should one think about implementing sets to failure, drop sets, things like that?
2: Absolutely not necessary for a beginner. Mm. Um, As you progress more as an intermediate, you're going to want to start taking some sets to failure, in my opinion, the way I advise people to do it is to work up to a hard set and then Dorian eight style, go to failure. Failure to me means you can't perform any more repetitions with perfect form. When your form goes like, if it's going to go, you stop, mm.
1: you know?
2: Um, and then as you get advanced, then you can throw in a set or two of those advanced techniques. So go to failure and then do a drop set. So generally what that looks like is for intermediates is like, let's see you do four exercises probably going to go to a failure on the last set. So four sets to failure. See, a lot of people think that they see, they used to see these videos of Dave Tate and I training. They used to think all of our sets were like that. <laughs> I'm like, no, man, we would die if we yeah. did 35 sets of failure. Um, and then as you get advanced, it's like, okay, now let's challenge the muscle even more. So let's add one or two of those for, for, for the day as well. So, you know, uh, it's not multiple sets within an exercise. It's picking a couple exercises to, to, usually at the most, in implementing that advanced technique.
1: How about something like forced sets or, f- yeah, forced stress. reps, forced reps? It's yeah, not that more would of an be just another too.
2: example of a high-intensity technique to me. You got cluster sets, drop sets, uh, um, forced reps. You may maybe, maybe throw in some negatives or something. Maybe throw in an iso hold or something. Like all that to me means that when you hit normal failure, then mm-hmm. you're doing something to continue to apply stress to the muscle after that.
3: Got it. How do you eat nowadays?
2: Uh, I don't eat hardly anything.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I went for 20-something years and ate six meals a day. And after my last contest in 2017, I said, that's over. <laughs> so um, I eat whatever I want, what I want. It probably averages out to 80 to 100 grams of protein a day, um, You know, maybe three meals a day. But here's the interesting thing. When I was competing um, about the last five years, my off-season, I would be – yeah, 227 to 230. Then I would compete about 225. Well, I'm two, 227 to mm-hmm. 230 now. It, it, I didn't really lose much, if anything. The muscle's not quite as round, but like it's all still there. And it's mind-blowing to me how much easier it is to maintain muscle than to build it. I feel like building muscle is very challenging. But once you have it and you own it for many, many years, I feel like maintaining it, as long as I'm training hard, my muscle doesn't go anywhere. So it's been pretty amazing for me and just kind of eye-opening the last three years to see how easy it is to hold on the muscle as long as I'm training hard.
3: Well, and, and training hard might even be a little different for you now. I'm sure you still get after it, but um, because of all the tricks that you figured out and uh, all the just different ways you figured out to fire your muscles, uh, the weights probably don't have to be too crazy, I'd imagine, right? To keep your size? Or, oh, or- I
2: can't. If I tried to do the stuff that I did 10, 15 years ago, I'd kill myself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't put a bar on my back and squat anymore. My lower back gets a little worn out from that, but I can still use like, you know, like a safety squat bar, for example. So I just, I have found ways to work around exercises that don't make me feel comfortable. Um, but you, but you're right. You know, I'm doing 120 pound dumbbells now for chest work. Whereas like, you know, before I, maybe I could have used one forties, but, Um, but I really feel like as you advance, you should be able to get more and more out of your sets every, every year, as you get better at this, you should be able to get more out of each set that you do. I I really do believe that. And I think that's a lot lot of times why guys that are younger do this high volume stuff because they haven't got to the point yet where they have enough experience to really maximize the potential of one individual set.
3: Cool perspective. And the same thing might be happening with your nutrition where you're getting more out of less.
2: Great point.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah,
1: no, it's uh, it's actually really funny. You said that because I have a few I have a few buddies that they did like they did a lot of bodybuilding training and they got pretty big and they're eating less protein. And I guess they're more so surprised at how much they're maintaining on almost half of the protein they used to eat. And I was I was always curious about that because, you know, you're like you're scared not to eat a gram per pound. Right, because you're right. like, "Fuck, I might lose all this," but I'm gonna it, shrink exactly. And, and how long have you been doing that? It's been what two years? That you, or actually three now.
2: Um, it's been going. It'll be three years in May.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you're still the same weight. You're not dropping at all.
2: No, I haven't lost a pound in, in, in two three years. Yeah, that's crazy. It's actually yeah. really
3: crazy. What you got over there, well, Andrew? You mentioned
2: you mentioned Dad too earlier. And, oh
3: yeah.
2: Um. So. Ed was, I was always telling Ed how little I was eating and Ed and I have done some business together in the past. And Ed like watched how I ate a couple days in a row. He said, I've been counting your protein. You know, you've only had 60 grams of protein today. (laughs) Yeah. So like, he was like, you weren't kidding. I was like, no, dude,
3: why would I lie about
2: something like that? You know,
3: he was, he was watching you like a hawk, huh?
2: Yeah, he was. And like, I always had to have my donut for the day but then after that you know maybe a little sushi maybe a couple eggs like my breakfast in the morning is two is two eggs and two pieces of toast and i feel fantastic like that feels great to me and people are like aren't you starving i'm like no actually i feel great Hmm. you know now when i was younger it was six eggs a bowl of oatmeal and two pieces of toast
0: but do you think you had you absolutely had to eat that way in order to grow um because I'm asking this as somebody who is smaller that wants to get bigger and you know everybody's just always talking about like if you want to get big you got to eat big now obviously you did do that and you've accomplished that but here you are today and you're still able to maintain it fairly easily like so is it just one of those things where you just you have to go through the journey in order to actually get to where you are now
2: well I can't say with 100% certainty because when I was younger, I was eating so much because that's what I believed and what I was taught. So I never went the other route and tried to eat like I am now. But if I were just to take an educated guess, I would say that that heavy eating was something that I needed to do to gain muscle. But I will say this, there's a point where your body can only absorb so much food. It can only handle so much, you know, when you eat a meal, and you're full and it's two and a half hours later and it's time for another meal, but you're still full. I don't think it's a good idea to then shove down another meal when you haven't even digested the last one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and if you look at bodybuilding, there are so many people with digestive issues, with Crohn's and, and IBS and all these stomach issues. And I personally think it's from eating nonstop and never giving your body a digestive break. This is one thing I think you mentioned fasting earlier. This is one reason why I like twenty-four hour fast in particular. Just to give your digestive system a break, just to chill out, you know. So I mean, I think all the eating I did was necessary, but I do think I probably went a little overboard. Now I I would never in my coaching now, I never tell people to eat a meal if they're still full from the last meal. Like if you're still sitting there and you're real full, wait. Cramming down another meal is not going to help you. And I I am a firm believer in that.
3: You were mentioning, you know, you get, you can only like take in so many nutrients kind of at a time, but I think maybe for the smaller guy, it's important to feel that, you know, I know like just, I've been training for a long time and I can start to feel like food and I'm like, oh, that, you know, that's starting to hit me now. I should probably cut back on the amount of food I'm eating again and and shift into something different or, or even just, you know eat less for the rest of the day or make, you know, make adjustments, you know, according to that. But, you know, in bodybuilding, sometimes refer to that as like spilling over, you know, you, Mm -hmm. you filled up all the muscle cells and you look a little bit jacked. And then the next thing you know, you look a little bit soft and look a little bit puffy and you went a little bit too far, but it's probably important for people to people that are trying to get a better physique, you know, as in like bodybuilding, it's probably important that they get themselves close to that point or at least feel that at some point. Yeah. Oh, you know, oh.
2: Yeah, that that intuition comes. Well, I don't not necessarily for some people. Some people still think you got. I call that the power shove method. You just keep shoving stuff <laughs> down. But um hopefully, you get a little bit better, and you start to get a little better with your nutrition. And just play like like everything else we've been talking about. Just experiment with it. Just try different things. Just experiment and see what happens. There's no downside.
0: Yeah, when we had uh, Big J on, we were kind of going back and forth about like how, how long should you bulk How you know, when is, you know, too big, big enough to start cutting down. And he said something around 14% body fat. Like if you're at that level, you shouldn't be bulking anymore. Um, What's your opinion on like how big should somebody get before they start either maintaining or try to bring it back down?
2: Well, I like that 14% number. I usually say more like 12 to 14 is, is now having said that, that's just a guesstimate. Um, but when a guy is at 18, 20 percent, I haven't seen too many people where that was really beneficial. Um, I like for a guy to be able to at least just see the outline of their abs, not not like veins and a six pack. I mean, like just see the outline, just see that they're there. Um, and then you know, all of the things that we were talking about with insulin sensitivity. Are you getting a good pump? You know, how is your strength? You know, if you're to the point where you can't feel a pump anymore or it's hard to get, your strength's not going anywhere, then you're going to have a hard time convincing me that getting fatter is going to help you in that respect. So I I don't have a problem with that 14. Um, I think probably 12 to 14 is a good area to be in. Some people, maybe a little less. Some people, maybe a little bit more. But I think for a general statement, that's not bad.
1: Mm. Yeah. You know, I'm curious about this because we had uh, we had Ron Partlow or Paltrow? Yeah, Partlow. Partlow, yeah, Partlow on recently, right? And um, he was talking about, you know, uh, like Rich Piana and the, like how anabolics like. And, he, you know, he ended up dying for that. But what I'm curious about is this, because a lot of young guys on YouTube are on YouTube telling people, you know, what they take. And there's these massive amounts of just shit. And guys follow that. And it's probably not safe. So, what I want is like, what is your advice to young guys that are interested in, you know, taking anabolics and stuff to get bigger, where they want to go into bodybuilding or powerlifting or whatever? But how can they do that stuff while still taking, I guess, into consideration their long-term health?
2: Well, uh, you know, one thing that it's so different now. Um, now in good ways and bad ways. Mm. So first of all, the coaching is maybe not so good now in bodybuilding. You've got a lot of young guys that came to the sport that, um, prescribed some very heavy doses and, um, like triple what I ever took. And these guys are coaches and people look up to them and they don't realize how really poor of a coach they are. And, You know, we used to have access to things much easier, much cleaner than you do now. Um, I haven't been involved in any underground stuff for years and years and years. I'm fortunate to have a doctor that I work with. But, um, But the one thing that's popped up a lot is all these HRT clinics and things like that. So if you go that route, at least you're doing it legally, at least you're getting blood work done. Blood work is not the end all be all, but at least it's a, at least you're measuring something. At least you're watching. If you know if you're taking, anivar from a clinic, at least you can watch your HDL. At least you can watch your ALT and your AST and your liver. Blah 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 and so forth. So I always approach. I always have people approach it from a perspective of try to find a doctor that's responsible that can help you. Sometimes that's not always easy. Um, I would start there first. You don't know what you're getting off the underground. People ask me all the time, have you heard of this? I'm like, no, dude, I haven't (laughs) heard of any of this stuff. Um, in the old days, we used to just send somebody to Mexico and they'd fill up a (laughs) fake gas cart, fake tank of gas in our car with stuff and drive it over the border.
0: (laughs) Um,
2: but, um, so I would start there. And then the other thing I would say is people vastly overestimate what you really need. Okay, I take a 200 milligram shot of sepionate every Saturday. I'll probably have to do it the rest of my life. That's what I've done for three years now. When I won my first contest, um, I had one of my training partners. His dad was a veterinarian. So uh, I was very anti-drug, very anti-drug. I might have even been one of the guys crying about cheaters. I don't know if I was or not, but it wouldn't surprise me. But I, I educated myself and I thought, you know what? Maybe this stuff isn't as bad as people are making out to be as long as you're responsible with it. So anyways, my friend says, hey, John, um, I saw a bottle of Winstrel on my dad's vet truck. You want it? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so um, if it's good enough for a horse, it's good enough for me. You know? So he gave me a 30cc bottle of Winstrel, And that's what I use 50 milligrams every other day for 60 days for my first show, first men's show. I won the overall. Um, so I went, I didn't take testosterone until I won the state championship. I didn't take growth hormone until my second year at the USA. And nowadays, like if you tell people, even at like a state show, these guys have this thing in their mind, well, I need a thousand migs of test. I need the most I ever took in my life for a week was 750 milligrams. But these, these guys have this perspective now that they think you need 1500 migs of test and a thousand migs of trend. So, we used to have these parabolin ampules from NEGMA in France, and they came in these 1.5 milliliter ampules. It was a 76 milligram dose. I always thought that was odd that it was 76 (laughs) instead of 75, you know, 15. Anyways, so two of those would be a good dose. So, whatever 76 times two is. The really hardcore guys would take three ampules in a week. So, whatever 76 times three is. But now you've got all these idiot coaches telling these guys they need hundred milligrams or to 200 milligrams a day of tremolone. Um, not a good idea, right? I mean, you can actually find studies where, where it has a negative, um, effect on people's brains, like, like <sighs> promoting Alzheimer's almost. So, um, I'm not against any of this stuff. I just think you should be responsible and, um, Try to have somebody watch you that's smart, that has, that's that got experience, particularly a doctor, if you can get a doctor that works with you. Um, I, I try to go beyond blood work. You know, my HDL has kind of been up and down. Sometimes it's up as high as 60, sometimes it's down as low as 25. So I went and got a calcium score test done. You know, it looks at actual calcium in your arteries. So that I know, like, there's no doubt in my mind if it, something's, you know, it, I actually got done when Dallas McCarver died. Like when mm. he died, I was like, I wasn't taking as much as these other guys, but I've taken a lot of stuff. If you look at it cumulatively over the years, so I went and got a calcium score test done, and I you know, was very happy with the result. But so I try to take a real proactive approach to looking at this stuff and staying healthy and, and things like that. And um, you know, I think that you know when you're young, and I remember having a, a, a mentality when I was in my 20s that was a little different. It was like I'm scared to see what it's going to be. So like, forget it. I'm not even going to get blood work done because I'm scared. I don't even, I don't want to even look at it. I'm scared of it. But luckily I had a good doctor, Dr. Serrano, who basically forced me to um, get the labs done. And so we could start tracking stuff, but I, you know, I was fortunate. Um, So anyways, those are just kind of some of my thoughts on that.
3: Born and raised in Ohio.
2: Yes, sir. From a little small town, uh, Washington courthouse, about an hour South here in Columbus. I live here in Columbus. I went to school originally, at Wilmington College, which was down by Perillos, and I was there for three years, and I wanted to be, at that time, I, I just wanted to be a pro bodybuilder, and so I transferred to a school, uh, Capitol University in Columbus, because it was right down the street from World Gym, so I actually transferred schools just to be close to World Gym, because I felt like going to World Gym would give me the best opportunity to be a pro, now, I was in my early 20s. It didn't quite work as quickly as I wanted it to, though. <laughs> it took a few decades later to get that pro card. But mm-hmm. so you can see how kind of hell bent I was even back then at that young age on trying to make it happen.
3: Did you always have a positive demeanor? Uh, growing up, sounds like you had some unfortunate situations happen. Uh, you didn't know your dad and your mother passed when you were young. Um, were you like, when you were younger, were you like angry? Were you trying to like kick everyone's ass with lifting or, or something to that effect to, uh, maybe fill in some of the tragedies that happened?
2: You know, um, I think I've always been pretty happy, honestly. Um, I, I've always had this, I, you know, I never knew my dad, but I never knew him. So there was nothing to be sad about. Like there wasn't anything there to begin with. So, you know, my mom was a really bad drug addict and alcoholic. Mm. So I felt like my grandmother raising me was a blessing. Like I would rather had that. So I had a very loving grandmother. She was a cook in a restaurant. She made $3 and 80 cents an hour. And she was the best grandma that I could have ever asked for. And So I, you know, a lot of people would probably consider my upbringing, they'd probably think I was pretty poor. And I think probably by some people's standards, I was having been to third world countries. I don't think I was, Mm. but, um, so for me, you know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, you know, you got that bottom level where it's like food and shelter and clothing, you get above that, you know, your family and your social connections. And so I always felt like I did have the family that loved me just because my grandma, so You know, I was never a real angry guy. Um, I always liked to stand up for the people who couldn't stand up for themselves. So if somebody was picking on somebody at school, if somebody was bullying, I'd be the one to stand up for them. I I still to this day think that, um, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but I just think that we should protect the people that can't protect themselves and really look out for each other. So no, I mean, I've had some challenging circumstances, but They make you who you are. I've had had surgeons volunteer to take the scars off my stomach, and I said, leave them there. I did have some taken off, but I wanted some to be left there because it reminds me, man, I could go at any time. Mm -hmm. I could die at any time, and in 2005, I was that close. So it reminds you of what's important, and certainly when you have things that you have to earn, you're appreciated. And I do feel like I've had great people around me you know, in high school, the football coach liked me. He would drive me up to World Gym on the weekends during the off season. So I have had people that kind of looked out for me and I still actually still do. I still feel like I have people that kind of look out for me and it makes me feel good.
3: And part of that is just having a positive mindset and being a young, hardworking person. A lot of people don't mind holding the door open for you here and there, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, um, you know, I think, I, I think that, it's getting more and more challenging today to maintain that positivity because we're flooded with negativity from, from everywhere, from all around us. So now it's becoming, I think, and I think that's why we see a lot of kids get depressed. I call it compare and despair, you know, they comparing themselves, to other people on social media and things like that. And, you know, I have a couple, I have twin boys that are 11 years old and I'm trying to, I'm doing my best to build their confidence and, you know, try to become good young men as opposed to just, you know, they have YouTube, they already have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. They have, they're already in all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just trying to, you know, do a good job, raise them. And on my YouTube videos, every once in a while, you'll see my son Alexander do a yo-yo trick. He's a pretty sick yo yoer I, I
3: saw it the other day. It was pretty cool.
2: so now next month he's getting in a rubik's cube championship he just started playing with a rubik's cube i'm like they have contests for that (laughs) so i look at this contest sheet they've got like blindfolded categories i don't know how you do that how do you do that with a rubik's cube wow um they've got one-handed so dudes only use one hand so he's been playing with it for about a month now and he's got it down where he can do it in like 50 seconds right now um, and I, I, I couldn't solve more than one side ever in my mm. life. He can already, he just sits there and his hands go nonstop, takes him about 50 seconds generally. Um, so
3: <laughs> where can people, uh, find out more about you? You have a lot of great information on the internet. I've been seeing a lot of the YouTube videos pop up lately. Um, where can people find you?
2: Yeah. So YouTube and, um, Instagram is mountain dog one. And then my website is mountain dog and, uh, and what- oh, and by the way, my supplement company is Granite Supplements. We um, we just released. Uh, I'm super super excited about this. We just released the protein powder that's a combination of whey, casein, egg, and beef protein. And I um, played around with this formula for six months. Played around with the digestive enzymes in it because um, I'm pretty sensitive to protein powders. This stuff is amazing. It digests perfect. Your stomach doesn't feel like it's blowing out, mm. which is what happens to me when I usually eat straight protein, straight weight, way isolate. You know, so um, anyways.
3: What uh what kicked off the YouTube channel?
2: Well, what I used to do was I had I was writing training programs and I wanted people to understand what I was doing on an exercise. So I would I started a YouTube to show people the exercise. Now what I did back then It was purely just to show exercises and I would keep the videos as short as I could, like 10 seconds um, because I didn't want people to click off. I want them to actually watch the videos. And then about three years ago, I'm talking to some people and they're like, you're missing out on a massive opportunity. Um, And I was kind of like, well, but isn't YouTube mostly young guys? Is there any old guys doing it? And they're like, yeah, but they don't really have your business or they don't really have your knowledge knowledge. Like, I don't know about that, but so they said, you know what? Let's just go full bore and let's see what happens. And I said, well, okay, let's do it. So we did five videos a week for the first year and um, it grew pretty good. And then it started gaining momentum. I think people then actually started to actually watch the videos and now it's done really, really well. Now it's building up really fast, but we do five videos a week and um, year round. Every once in a while, we might do four, but generally we do five every single week. But it's been, it's kind of like my um, pro career. Like I didn't have a video go viral or anything. It's just just been week after video after video, chipping away, chipping away. And I get on there an hour or two every single day and I go through the comments and I respond to comments. And I think that people probably appreciate that too. Um, But I do that as best I can as well. And, you know, now it's actually turned into something really fun um even doing that many many videos it's still a pretty fun thing and you know and i I, like i came from the corporate world so you know from a financial perspective it's pretty cool to know that my youtube channel now i can do better at that than when i was a vp at chase running the biggest projects Mm -hmm. in the entire bank like like that's pretty cool that i can (laughs) exchange those two right
3: yeah yeah so will you be at the arnold this year
2: yeah, absolutely. What I do is I don't stand behind the booth usually, maybe for an hour or two, but I walk around and I interact with people. Cool. Um, I have my I'll have my camera guy with me, but I'll just be walking around and saying hi to people and meeting people.
3: Yeah, we'll be podcasting out there and it'd be great to uh, finally shake your hand in person and get, get an opportunity to meet you.
2: Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be great.
3: Cool. Thanks so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: No, it's my pleasure. And thank you very much for having me on.
3: All right. Take care. See you later. Thank you. Damn. Good info, right there.
1: A lot, man. I think one of the coolest things was the sequencing thing, because when a lot of powerlifters, uh, Want to do bodybuilding work, right? I would get why you'd start with your uh, your big compounds, but they do it so that they can, you know, lift the heaviest loads possible. But he does those movements later, so he feels better, even though he's a little bit weak on him later. Yeah. And what would be Doesn't the problem
3: matter. with uh, you get done with the powerlifting meet? What would be a problem with uh, implementing that when the you know when you're like off season or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah, it would be a great idea. He mentioned some like people, and he mentioned some things that are you know just. It was super cool to hear him uh, talk about some of these kind of uh, iconic you know, people in the industry that are from a long-ass time ago. But one person he mentioned, and I just need to tell this story because this is funny, but he mentioned Kenny Patterson. Kenny Patterson was uh, one of the best power lifters that Westside Barbell ever had, but he mainly turned into uh, a really, really great bench presser. Super crazy strong, and you know, I think he would do like 585 for reps on like a floor press and stuff like that. I mean, this guy was just... Extraordinarily strong and George Halbert and Kenny Patterson, they'd go back and forth. They were like similar age. Um, I think they were similar body weights 220, 198. Um, you know, it's it's west side barbell, so it's equipped lifting, but they're benching 700, you know, 750, things, yeah. things, and things in that neighborhood. But these are, you know, again, these are guys that weigh like 200 pounds basically. Um, Anyway, something happened. Kenny Patterson was very like young, and I guess uh, something happened that everyone disagreed with, and they wanted to like boot him out of the gym. Which you didn't really get. You didn't typically get like booted out of the gym from Westside Barbell. You would just kind of like more like get voted off the island, you know, kind of a uh, survivor style. So it wouldn't be like anyone physically grab you and be like, "Dude, you got to get out of here." It was nothing. I think people probably envision that when they're saying, Oh, so and so got kicked out. It's like you kind of recognize you're not welcome anymore, so you just kinda of stop showing up, you know, and it's that's, that's uh or you do show up and no one helps you. You know, when no one's helping you for a meet, you know, and, and that's the, the normal nature of the gym, then you're like, Well, I guess I guess I did something to piss everybody off. So that those are the kind of things that would happen. But with Kenny Patterson there was something in particular, I don't know the details of it at all, but <clears throat> But Louis talked to everybody and he's like, man, like this really hurts. You know, this really sucks. Like I've been friends with him since he was like 15, you know, I, I've been like a mentor and coach to him and I don't, I don't, I don't want to see him leave, but you know, you guys, what do you guys think? You know? And they're like, yeah, man, he's just, sorry. You know, he, he has to go. And so Louis's like, all right, well, Let's all meet up tomorrow at like eight o'clock and I'll tell Kenny to come in. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, cool. You know, and they're, they're going to talk to him before training and they are going to kind of, you know, just kind of say why basically, and just have this awkward, hard conversation <laughs> with him. Uh-huh. And, uh, Louie's waiting at the gym <laughs> and no one's showing up. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> and then finally, here comes Kenny Patterson. So he had to talk to him on his own, and tell him <laughs> he's no longer welcome at the gym. Sorry. And then maybe ten minutes later, after he you know tells him he's got to go, everyone starts showing up because it's time to bench or whatever. Everyone just waited in their yeah, car. Yeah, Louis is like I had to talk to him all by myself. He's like I thought he's going to kick my ass.
1: <laughs> oh man, I wonder if like did they, pur- did they do that shit on purpose just so they <laughs> yeah probably yeah no one else probably Definitely wanted to deal detention either yeah. <laughs>
3: oh that's funny as hell that's yeah. i mean they may have all like done it kind of like just out of like not wanting to deal with the awkwardness but they also may have all talked about it and been like let let me let <laughs> deal with
1: that shit <laughs>
3: it's his jam let him deal with that
1: oh man yeah. do, do you know this kenny Patterson guy? Is he still uh is he still active and yeah yeah he's, still, at it?
3: yeah he's still around i don't know you know this is like 30 years ago or okay. something so I, and again i i don't you know this is uh this is west side barbell like folklore so take it for what it's worth yeah. i don't know how i don't know how true it is you know, but oh man that's funny
1: that's actually really funny
3: but yeah uh, talking about like training out uh you know the powerhouse gym and all those mm-hmm. different kind of or or a world gym and having the chalk bowl there and yeah. you know people like bleeding and stuff very, dude very training normal.
1: environment is is so huge like it's it, it's crazy like that's why when i when i see people and they're only training in their garage gym I just wonder, like Bryce Lewis does that sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I feel like he does train around a lot of strong people a lot of time too. So if you're, if you're, and and I see garage gyms are getting really popular for people just starting out. And I'm pretty sure it's because they don't want to deal with the uncomfortable nature of going into a commercial gym or a gym where there's a lot of people and potentially being embarrassed by their strength. Right.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I think that's one of the worst things you could do. Getting a bunch of like, unless like you can't you don't have access to a gym that's closed. So you can't drive all the way. Like it's like an hour away to your your nearest gym. I'd say don't get a garage gym yet. Get around other people so you can have people around you that are stronger than you, whether it's a commercial gym or a, a gym like super training, you know? I think it makes a big difference.
3: Yeah. What if every rep could be a little bit better? Every set could be just a little bit better or your, your worst days can, could then just not be so bad, you know, cause you got somebody there with you. Maybe, maybe you still struggle. Maybe you just don't love, uh, training, but somebody else is kind of helping you, you know, pick it up a little bit. I remember like just playing football and watching, you know, watching tape and, uh, you know, we'd all like. We'd all like make fun of each other, you know. We'd be like, "Dude, what are you doing on this play?" You know, like what, like what is this? And we would like go back and rewind it and just like, we're, "Okay, we just want to make sure. Are I seeing this correctly? I know, you know, you're number seventy three, right? Like that's your number. Okay, you did, you did, you did absolutely nothing on that play. Like what, like <laughs> what, is, what? You're just
2: running yeah. around in circles. What are you doing? Yeah, it
3: looks like everybody else in the team is all kind of paying attention on the same page. And yeah, you you did nothing on that play. And <laughs> but those kind of things are the things that you know next time you're on the field or when you're in practice you're thinking yeah. like we better you know we better fucking go is number 73 is that the guy that you said you hated like was that no, his number no. Or no? No, no 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 okay no. <laughs> i'm just yeah. wondering if
1: like that's his yeah. number
3: he would have been pick... like 22 or something yeah right yeah because he was a defensive back yeah mm-hmm. the same yeah keep picking on the same guy <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: dude when we have these bodybuilders on do you guys get super motivated
1: it it makes me uh like you know having big j on made me consider 20s and i have been using some 20s here and there which mm-hmm. is nice i like it so i guess it just uh, expands what i'm used to doing and makes me like rethink some of the things i do to see something if something might be better mm-hmm. like the sequencing he was talking about typically i really do like giving people their big compounds first yeah. um but that is something to think about for some specific individuals. That's really, you know, there's there's a lot in there to unpack. And the cool thing about um, John is, yo, his YouTube channel is a wealth of information. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really crazy how deep he goes on a lot of these videos. So, if you're not subscribed to him already, you need to go subscribe yeah. now.
0: Yeah, and then picking up small things like, you know, the, the sets of 20 from Big J. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a smaller guy, you want to get big, do sets of 20. So, I guess what my ass was doing on Friday morning. I was doing sets of 20 with legs. <laughs> and I'm still sore. But, yeah. you know, like... I don't know, do something about these bodybuilders, I'm just like, let's, I'm going to heat up my chicken and rice right now, and I'm going yeah. <laughs> to eat as much as I can today, and all that oh, good
3: stuff. Bodybuilding motivation videos on YouTube, Oh They'll yeah, light your hair on fire, you get yeah. all, all excited, You gets you all fired up, I mean, they're, they're. I, I would think, even if you're not a meathead, you'd be inspired by it, just because you can see how much dedication goes into the whole thing, and I know there's some people that are just going to be like, oh man, they just do a lot of drugs, and there is a lot of drugs in it, we already know that, mm-hmm. but uh, there's also a lot of discipline, six meals a day, eight hours of sleep every day, mm-hmm. two, three hours of training every day, cardio every day. I mean, yeah. it's fucking wild. Yeah, if it, if, attention it's, they pay if it. it's not drugs, people
0: are complaining about it. It's, well, I have a family. I don't have the time. Like, If I did that all day long, I, I maybe could look better. It's like, it's always going to be something. Why not self. just fucking appreciate it and then strive for
1: it? Yeah. And that's what's also cool about John, because he, in, his, in a lot of his videos, he goes into the natural, like what what kind of things you need to be considering or doing maybe a little bit differently and actually he does he did mention that both natural athletes and enhanced athletes they need to both train hard cuz he's right a lot of natural guys think ah oh, i can't recover like this so i can't train that hard no you got to train fucking hard yeah you know they are just different things you need to think about in terms of how
3: you recover and yeah. i don't really know how to i don't really know how to describe this but it seems like you know um when you're doing bodybuilding stuff you know there seems to be this common common thread of you know going to failure getting close to failure and there's some uh, you know there's some other versions of that that where you don't have to necessarily uh, go the Dorian Yates route um, where you're going you know to total failure and you're doing force reps and stuff um, because you could potentially do three or four sets with a similar weight um, but in the end you're ended up with a similar result it's just that you're not like probably screaming and going crazy. Um, the screaming and going crazy stuff is kind of a weird part of it, but it just like happens. Like you might not even want it to happen, but you just get to a point where you're like, can't help, but get a little oomph in there and, and start making weird noises and start breathing all strange because, uh, it just gets to be painful. Remember when you trained with Mike? Yeah, last week. Yeah,
1: dude. Like, yeah, like on on that set of those weird squat things, I couldn't help but just be like, Ugh! yeah, <laughs> like, that <laughs> shit just happened. Yeah. I didn't mean for it to happen. It just did. <laughs> so, yeah.
3: It just, when you're training that hard, fuck, Yeah, it, and it's it, painful. I mean, you might I would imagine you would let out some weird noise if someone was like fighting you in the street, like, and you had to really truly defend yourself. You know, you would, you'd like to think that you could remain calm and be like stoic and stuff, but you'd, you know, you're kind of fighting for your life. What if you saw a knife or something and then, you know, you're going to be like extra violent and extra over the top at that moment. And I don't think you're going to really care if you, you know, bite the guy's face off or let out a loud yell or whatever. You're just going to kind of do whatever you need to do to um, get out of the situation or protect yourself. Yeah, man. Bodybuilding training.
1: Like when you're, when you're getting after it, it's like when you're preparing for a competition, it's, uh, it it gets, the training does become painful. I haven't had to train like that in a
3: a while, Mm. which is great. I still (laughs) train, but like that,
1: that's something different.
3: It's Mm -hmm. tough, man. Like, uh, And it's a good analogy to try to pull into your day to day because if you, you know, your workouts are only as good as your recovery. And I think that's a big issue for a lot of people. They're not recovering uh, from, you know, never mind their workouts, not recovering from their day to day. Like you're only as strong as your like battery power. And if you were to, you know, if you were to, uh, you know, be a video game, like, you know, you're not in the green enough. You know, you don't have enough green power. You're not like Mm -hmm. recharging enough every day cause you're not taking care of yourself enough. You're not sleeping enough and stuff. And you, uh, you know, in a video game, like the character sometimes even has to like pick up food yeah. or pick mm-hmm. up like a heart or whatever. <laughs> and then he starts gaining his, uh, his energy back. But I think a lot of people are just, you know, kind of smothering themselves. Um, and, uh, John hit it right on the head saying like, you know, we would do really hard stuff, but it might've been for like a set or two for three or four different exercises. And when you think that way, that's a, that's, uh, difficult thing to do easier said than done but an easy thing to have in your head on the way to the gym you're like okay I'm doing I'm doing leg presses I'm doing leg extensions I'm doing leg curls and I'm gonna finish with stiff leg deadlifts or something mm-hmm. and you know ahead of time okay four exercises when it comes to you know getting some good blood into the legs and it comes to like doing that third or fourth set, That's when I'm just going to let loose. And that's when I'm just going to go all in. I got a training partner there with me. We can do some forced reps. He can yell at me or encourage me whatever way. Uh, to get through it, and we're both going to kill each other, but we're both going to figure out a way to get
1: through it. Yeah, conceptually, that's like what kind of Big J was doing, and that's what Mike was doing when we were working out with him. Mm -hmm. Like, your first few sets are cool, your last two sets are a nightmare. Yeah, (laughs) right.
3: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's pretty much what it was. And the other way to do some bodybuilding is uh, maybe a little calmer approach, but have shorter rest periods from set to set. Um, I'm not really aware of that many other bodybuilders that use that, although... There has been, you know, a handful where they just have a mild. I guess Jay Cutler might be an example of it, but Jay Cutler still always killed himself. So, wait, repeat that one more time. Well, doing just, what? You know, so like maybe say like doing like I don't know three to five sets, right? Mm-hmm. Having a uh, a a pretty strict uh, rest interval of like a minute. Yeah, you know, so Jay would do like a plate, two plates, three plates. I don't think on a squat. I don't think he really cared about the rest interval until he got into his working sets. Mm-hmm. Once he's in his working sets, and normally he would do leg extensions beforehand too. He might do three or four sets of uh, 10 just to get some blood into the legs. So his legs are pretty pumped. He's already fairly warmed up and ready for the squats. Now when he would go to do his squats, he might, he's going to pick the weight that feels right for him for the day. He might do sets of 10 to 12. He's always a controlled lifter and he might use like 405. Yeah. But he was also very, very strong, so he might kick it up a notch and occasionally use, like, uh, five plates or so. Mm-hmm. And the form would be flawless, and he did it nearly every week. But I guess what I'm saying, what I'm saying here is that, you know, his his intensity was spread out maybe through a few sets, um, and he wasn't maybe going as heavy and wasn't maybe going to, like, it's like after he did his last rep, it wasn't like he felt like he was going to fall, you know what I mean? He could have probably done a couple reps, probably had a couple reps in the tank. But that's because he did more sets, yeah, rather than just hitting that one, that one big one. And so there's some different ways of doing it, but they're not that different from each other. Those those two ways, they're not.
0: Uh, I like uh, John's approach when it, when he was talking about like don't like if if you're still sore. Don't hit that muscle group mm. again just because you want to be a savage, right? Yeah. And it's, tar- it's hard. I wanted to ask him, like, well, how do you, you know, where do you find the line? Like, you you can't just make every workout be perfect where, like, everything feels right. good. I'm not in pain, so I'm going to hit that. You have to really, so in SEMA, if you have some advice for that, you know, on that on that yeah. subject because, you, you know, you, you need to push through the, you know, the, the difficult times, right? Like, that's how you get stronger. Yeah. This is where like, you
1: know, if you're, if you're someone who wants to experiment with this, we talked a lot about this. You you can write out your own training routines and all you have to do is kind of track how you feel from session to session, whether it's like you have an upper day and a lower day, a push, pull, whatever, right? Track how you feel from session to session. And if like after your second lower day, if you're feeling that by the time you have to get to your next leg day, your legs are still fried, then you can take out a few sets of that lower Mm -hmm. day right? And then when you get to that next leg like, session, you can hit it well, boom, you know where your volume is. Just like when we had Mike Isretel on here and he was talking about that maximum recoverable volume. For everybody, it's going to be a little bit different, but you need to figure out, am I recovered after this session that I set up for myself? If I'm not recovered after four days, maybe I'm just doing too much of a certain muscle group mm. in this session. I need to just take away a little bit and I'll be fine.
3: He was also talking about just, you know, being able to call like an audible, you know, you're on your way to the gym and uh-huh. you're, you're questioning yourself. You're like, am I being... A pussy or you know or mm-hmm. would it make sense for me just to simply do legs tomorrow or the day after because i'll have a better squat workout again like trying to be recovered like if your batteries are already low it's not going to really do you it's not going to do you a service you know especially like if you were trying to train for strength well actually in the case of strength sometimes it's important to train fatigued mm. but sore is probably still not good because you're trying to produce force so it still probably wouldn't be that great um but like mentally being a little beat down uh, from training is very, very normal for strength training. Those are kind of different things. And when you unrack the weight, and it feels really heavy. That's actually very normal. It's a, yeah. it's an adaptation your body's trying to go through and your body doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not on board. It's not okay with it. But when it comes to hypertrophy training, I think it does make sense to say, you know what? I really don't, I just don't feel that great. And uh, all right you know, let's make an agreement with myself right here. Let's, let's just do it. Let's just do this one thing. And let's, so instead of legs, we're doing shoulders. You know, you give yourself something simple, something easy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, I'm going to kill my shoulders. That's the agreement, but my legs are sore. I'll wait another day.
0: Yeah. And I also love what he said about eating too. <clears throat> like he yeah. doesn't have any of his clients force feed themselves. That's great. And I actually. think there's yeah. a ton to that because when I have my, you know, when a day like today, it's going to be tough. Like my feeding window got it's got a lot shorter, so that means my dinner time is going to be huge. There's been times where I'm trying to get everything in, and what happens the next morning? An awesome blowout, and I'm just like, how much of those nutrients that I ate last night are actually being like kept inside my body, you know?
1: So, I, man... Oh, fuck, dude! You know <laughs> these dude, episodes have been so good. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, on the note of that, real quick, this is kind of an aside. But you remember when we went to that uh, Brazilian place when we were in LA, H and H or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that place is great. I, I, it, I think about it every day, actually. It was. It was so good. But the body's so fucking smart. You guys remember when I tapped out initially? I was like, I can't handle one more bite of this. Mm-hmm. And and you guys were still eating, right? And I was like, oh, you know what? Let me let me have one more bite of this steak or whatever. So mm-hmm. I, I I put it in my mouth. I chewed it. It was taking a really long time to chew. And once I swallowed it, this, you know when you're, you feel like you have to throw up yes. and the saliva starts to collect in your mouth? That happened. Like immediately once I swallowed it, I was like, wow, one bite later, I'm wanting to throw everything. Up. So I just sat there all quiet while you guys were all <laughs> you talking. Get quiet. Yeah, I got really quiet after that bite, just trying to hold myself out from throwing everything oh, up. No. I was like, I knew it. I knew I just had that call right there not mm-hmm. to eat anymore. You know, so that body knows you know, we need to stop eating. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it it, happens, fast, it happens fast.
3: Yeah. Really fast. <sighs> that place was so good though. It was. That place was, that place was awesome. You know, I think, uh, people that, that are trying to figure out a way to eat more, you know, try to implement foods that digest pretty well for you would be a good idea. Um, and then see where you can sneak in food. You know, maybe you can sneak in some food around your workouts um. Even if you're fasting, you know, Cole Robinson talks a lot a lot about that. He's like, he's like, it ain't really going to matter. And he he does recognize that it's not fasting. He's, you know, he's a smart dude. You know, you guys heard him when he was on the show. Um, but I think that's a great recommendation. You know, have have an orange, you know, have, uh, you know, a couple of eggs or egg whites or a hard boiled egg or just a little something before your exercise. Because as John was pointing out and some of our other bodybuilders have been on the show, you know, what if that little bit of food can make you just a little bit better for your training session? Maybe it, maybe it helps you become a little bit more optimal. And again, you know, it has to coincide with the goals that you have, you know, what's, what's the goal? If the goal is to have a better physique, then we need to, we can't really afford to really slip up in the training sessions and we can't really afford to, uh, we can't afford to lose muscle mass, you know, and I'm not someone who's a proponent or thinks that, you're going to all of a sudden lose muscle mass when you don't have carbohydrates in there.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, but you do get smaller, you know, and so there's potential for it. And so why not block some of the potential for it? Why not, as he was pointing out today, which I think is the most valuable lesson we got for today was, why don't you just experiment and see what happens? You
1: exactly. Know? Exactly.
0: Where can people find Andrew? Andrew. You guys can hit me up on Instagram at I am Andrew Z, but please make sure you guys are following the podcast at Mark Bell's Power Project. That's also on Instagram and on Twitter at MB Power Project on Twitter, TikTok, and Byte um, at the uh, at the same handle. And really, really quick, uh, thank you guys so much that have been um, for everybody that's been rating and reviewing the podcast. Um, it helps a ton. Um, you guys, we we reached out. We said, hey. Give us some reviews and you guys have responded very well. Uh, Just like our boy Blah Manson. He says, awesome information. Quote, these guys bring in guests that speak on all different lifestyles relating to both diet and exercise. Their guests usually say the same thing. Eat well and work hard in the gym duh, but usually have fantastic dialogue that puts a positive shine on your day also thanks to this group i will be having piedmontese steak instead of some keto birthday treat for my birthday well shit dude happy birthday thank you so much for that review that really does um help us out if you guys want to hear your name or your review right on the air just drop us a uh, review right now on itunes and you could potentially hear your name on air and seema where you at
1: at Nseema Yang on Instagram, YouTube, and Byte, and Seema Yin Yang on TikTok and Twitter. And real quick, mm-hmm. uh, so February 8th is coming up. I'm going to be competing against Chad Wesley Smith on Saturday. going to break his face, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all know Costa Mesa, California is where the tournament takes place. That's SoCal, right? Um, I don't roll deep in SoCal. So if you're listening to this and you live in SoCal, you can grab those tickets. I think it's flowgrapplingticks.com. Uh, Or you can just DM me and I can send you the link where you can grab tickets and choose me as your fighter. And I hope to see some Power Project fam out there because he rolls deep in Costa Mesa. Yeah, (laughs) you're going
3: to need a lot of help, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Are you flying down there? Yeah, I'm flying down there. Flying down there. Any special, like, uh, grizzly bear training or anything for, you know, because to to size up your opponent here, you've been wrestling some uh gorillas or some mm-hmm. bears or something like that since chad's such a big such a big big boy i've managed to find a, a tribe of very large
1: white men in dixon california that i've been doing jujitsu with and they are similar to chad's size so mm. yeah they roll they roll together and i roll with them so sweet yeah
3: sweet i'm at mark smelly bell on youtube twitter instagram tiktok all over the place um <laughs> 100 days of uh, carnivore, I issued a new challenge for everybody, just kind of suckering you into doing the carnivore diet for longer. Uh, I just simplified it a little bit, made it a little easier, just to throw in some dairy for a little while. Um, doing that for the first maybe week or so, maybe two weeks. Uh, I ditched fasting just to try something new, try something different. Again, why not experiment? Why not try things out? Mm-hmm. Um, feel I feel good throughout the day. Um, been doing my walk runs, been keeping up on all that. And, uh, training has been going good. Everything's been feeling really good. And, uh, I would like you guys to join in on the journey. So if you want to join in and and check it out, there's information on, I have a Facebook page for it, which is, uh, Mark Bell's carnivore challenge. You can check that out, or you can check out the YouTube channel where I'm going to post every day. And probably the craziest part of posting every day has been that I'm videoing it and editing it myself every day. And it sucks. (laughs) But I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done. I'm making it fucking happen. So I got like 90 more days or something. Or no, 60 60 something more days of that. You got this. Oh, my God. But it's good to get that information out there. Uh, Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch y'all later.